You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Whenever you have a lot of commerce going on, a lot of electronic transactions, credit card usage, it's going to attract thieves. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast. This is the show where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, the criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, my conversation with Carl Sigler from Trustwave. Carl's going to be discussing how consumers can stay safe during the holiday season. And we are back. Joe, I'm going to start things off for us this week. we got right. a story. Uh, this is from Krebs on Security, Brian Krebs's security uh, online publication. And this is particularly relevant, I think, as we're coming towards the holidays. People are going to be doing a lot of traveling. That means they're going to be buying a lot of gas. Yep. <laughs> that means they're going to be, uh, most people, I would hazard to say, probably pay for their gas with some kind of a credit card. And this is a story about an interesting hack of a gas pump that involved not just a skimmer inside the pump, which we've talked about, and we'll dig into some of those details here. But right. uh, this is a modification to the pump itself where someone has installed a hidden camera above the display for the pump. So let me try to describe this to you. Imagine you walk up, you're facing your standard gas pump here in the U.S. Generally, the topmost thing on any pump is a display. Right. And that displays the number of gallons that you've purchased and it displays uh, the price per gallon. And depending on the sophistication of the, the pump, it can it, some of them even show you commercials while you're pumping your gas, right, which yeah. is annoying. Irritating. But, <laughs> but uh, in this case, the scammers have actually constructed out of wood, but they painted the wood black. So it sort of blends in with the black frame of this gas pump. Huh. Uh, it's just a strip of wood that goes across the top lip of the pump, sort of above the display, and blends in quite nicely. Yeah, there's a picture of it in the article, and you can't really tell. It just looks like part of the bezel of the gas pump, if you will. Yes, it is well camouflaged. If you weren't looking for it, you, you wouldn't would not, see it. You would not see it at all. But within this strip of wood is a pinhole camera. Huh. Now, that's part of the scam. Also, right. in the pump, somehow they got access to the pump. And I, I say somehow, evidently, the keys to these gas pumps are easy to buy online. Right. So, and I guess they, it's sort of one of those things where they have a master key that works for all the pumps. Right. Much. That's my yeah, understanding. It's, it's of a it. very common problem with a lot of keys, actually. Yeah. So inside the pump, they've installed a Bluetooth skimmer. Mm-hmm. So it sort of inserts itself between the card reading hardware on the pump. And it makes it so that the bad guys can drive up to the pump with a Bluetooth device. So mm-hmm. a mobile device, a laptop, whatever, something that has Bluetooth log into the pump and download all of the data that this skimmer has gathered up from the card reader. Right. Then they combine that with the video footage Mm -hmm. from the pinhole camera of people entering their pins. Or here in the U.S., their zip codes. Oh, yeah, right. Their zip code is, yeah, that's that's interesting. Because about that, yeah. one of the things about PCI compliance is that the PCI means payment card industry. Yeah. And... You noticed that uh, a few years ago, many, many merchants started having chip readers in Mm -hmm. their what what would be called chip and pin in the EU. But here it's just a chip. It just verifies that the card is present. However, gas stations have been given an exemption from that. And they have a couple more years to get their chip readers in because of the massive quantities of devices they need to replace. You think about a gas station. A gas station has not just one 
point of sale system, but every pump is its own point of sale system. Right. Right. So the capital investment is big. So, but as a workaround, the way they verify that the card is is yours is they ask you for the zip code of your billing address. Mm. But you have to enter that in on your keypad, and that's what this camera is capturing. And it can get your PIN. Now that's much more dangerous, mm-hmm. right? Because if you have a debit card and they get your debit card and your PIN, they can go to an ATM, put a fake debit card in, and draw money actually directly out of your account. Yeah, and that's one of the points that Brian Krebs makes in this story is that you're really better off in a situation like this buying your gas with a credit card rather than a debit card because there are many more protections here in the States when it comes to credit cards and being able to get your money back than with a debit card. Right, and that's not your money when you're using a credit card. You're using somebody else's, like Capital One or Wells Fargo's money. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you can dispute it through fraud reporting. I'll also add that when I go to buy gas, I have taken to using the gas stations app. So, for example, we have a lot of Exxon stations around here, so they're convenient for me. And Exxon has a really good app. You you drive up to the station, you open the app, it uh, uses your location information, and it says, are you at this gas station? And you say, yes, I am. And it says, which pump are you at? And you put in the pump number. And it says, uh, how would you like to pay for this? And in my case, I say Apple Pay, which is an additional layer of security because it's a tokenized payment system. Very, very secure. And it says, all right, authorizing that pump. So I don't do any interaction with the pump at all. That's awesome. I don't put a card in. I don't. It all happens through my phone. So I feel as though that's a higher level of security than otherwise. I, would, agree? I would agree. Yeah. 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 So, and it's free. And I suppose there's some rewards that I earn from doing that. I haven't really checked into that. It's one of those uh, rare cases where an app has exceeded my expectations and ease of use and uh, increased security. So good job, Exxon. Well, very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I guess the other option here uh, is to pay in cash. Yeah. I would never use my debit card at a gas pump. Mm-hmm. I would only paying cash if I didn't have a credit card with me, but I do have credit cards. So that's really your option. Either use a credit card or pay with cash. I I would never use a debit card. Yeah, I was speaking to a a local police officer here who's uh, one of the police officers who helps people with fraud, and he says that he never pays for gas with anything other than cash. Yeah. Uh, He also said, if you can, use the pump closest to the convenience store, closest to the the person monitoring. Right, closest to the human that could see it. Yep. One of the things that's interesting about this is the risk for the bad guys in this case only exists when they're installing the hardware. After that, the risk is over. If they don't get caught when they're installing the hardware, they're never going to get caught. They just drive up, act like they're getting gas, and probably paying with a stolen card anyway, and and, uh, download all the data and leave. When the pumps convert to chips, right? is that going to... That's going to put it down in this, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I suspect it would. Yeah. In the meantime, check out those apps. Yep. All right. Well, that's my story this week. Joe, what do you have for us? Dave, my story comes from Diana Lopera from Trustwave Security Team Spider Labs. Ooh. I love these names for these security teams. Spider Labs. (laughs) Last week we had Acid, right? Right. If I start a security company and have a lab, I'm just going to call it the Scary Team. Yeah. It's never the Teddy Bear Team. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So Spider Labs is warning about an email scam that's going around. Mm. It's coming out with two different subject lines, either... Install latest Microsoft Windows update now or critical Microsoft Windows update Mm. with exclamation points. (laughs) Okay. And the email contains only one line of text. It says, please install the latest critical update for Microsoft attached to this email. And it's got capitalization errors and everything. It's kind of obvious that it's a scam. 
but there is an attachment to the email and it's a JPEG attachment, but it has the extension JPG. A JPEG is an image file, right? but it's not an image file. It's actually an executable. Hmm. And it's very small too. This is what's interesting about it to me, at least. It's only 28 kilobytes, which is a very small application. Yeah. But when you open it, what it does is it goes out to GitHub and downloads an executable. Now, for our listeners who might not know what GitHub is, GitHub is a code management repository that you can go out and create an account on. And generally, developers will upload their files to GitHub so that they can keep their source code safe. But you can put any kind of file on GitHub and accounts are free. And if an account is free, then all your repositories, your different ways of storing your data up there, are open to the public. So this malware team or actor is using GitHub as a distribution method for this other malware is calls itself uh, BitcoinGenerator.exe. I wonder what it does. It doesn't generate Bitcoins. Oh, oh darn it, it. It's actually a variant of Cyborg ransomware. So it downloads the ransomware app from GitHub, and then that ransomware app starts running and encrypting all your files. Mm. Then it leaves a ransom note for you for how to get your files back. A couple things are going on here. One, I find it interesting that they named it BitcoinGenerator.exe. Mm-hmm. It's like they're putting it on GitHub and going, you know, since we're going to uh, be encrypting people's machines, why not try to get people who are maybe looking for a, a Bitcoin miner and encrypt their machine as well? Oh. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. That might be a long shot. I don't know that they got anything from it. Yeah. So in this phishing expedition, uh, through this use of this name, perhaps catching a few extra people in the net. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Not a bad way to do it, right? Yeah. If, if you can get a couple extra encryptions for free, why not do it? Right. Uh, here's a couple points I want to make. Number one, Microsoft will never email you to tell you to install a critical update. Hmm. They handle that through their OS. And mm. this email campaign, this spam campaign, relies on the user's lack of knowledge of that fact. So maybe a user is not very technically savvy. They say, oh, Microsoft sent me an email. They want me to install this patch. I'm going to go ahead and do that. Microsoft will never send you an email to update your operating system. The operating system has that feature built in. All modern operating systems today have that feature built in. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's I can't think of one that doesn't, actually. Mm-hmm. So use that feature. In fact, if you're on Windows, you can just type in the little search bar, update, and it will tell you what your update status is and give you ways to update if you need to. Hmm, And you should update. That's one of the basic cyber hygiene practices. Keep your operating system up to date. Right. In the hacks where people actually go out and, and, and break into somebody's machine, nine times out of 10, actually, I would even say 95 times out of 100, it is with an old known exploit that could have been patched. Right. Right. Just update your operating system. Set it to automatic if you can. This is a very primitive campaign. Somebody went and set up a GitHub account, put some known malware out on the GitHub account, wrote a small .NET executable that they then spammed out to a bunch of people. But I'll bet that they got some people with this. Yeah, it's really lightweight. The thing that strikes me also is that... I guess having a .jpg extension on that file, that's not any guarantee that that's actually what that file is. Yeah, that's right. That is an interesting feature of this of this mm-hmm. malware. All right. Well, uh, something to look out for. So I guess the, the take home here is twofold. Uh, keep your operating system up to date. Right. And only respond to requests to do that from the operating system itself. Yes. You know, Brian Krebs, who is the author of the first article that we talked about today, has a few rules. And one of the rules is if you didn't ask for it, don't install it, right? Mm. So don't install a software that comes to you in an email that you didn't request. That's just another basic hygiene rule. And that's really, really good advice, especially here. But your advice is also paramount. Yeah. That's not how this works. (laughs) All right. Well, it's time to move on to our catch of the day. 
Our catch of the day comes from one of our listeners. He's a friend of the show. His name is Tim. And he had a brief exchange with someone who was trying to scam him on LinkedIn. Uh-huh. And uh, I have the exchange here in front of us. Joe, I will uh, play the part of the LinkedIn member, and you can play the part of Tim. And it goes like this. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm Linda, never married, no kids. I'm looking for a serious relationship, a man who's ready to meet face to face, a man who's not too hurt and not too hard to get along with. I'm also open to anything. If you're interested in getting to know more about me, text me. WTF, did you hack this account or did you create it yourself just for this romance scam? Hmm? I mean, you're obviously a scammer, like, duh. Save yourself some time and hassle and don't try to convince me otherwise. I work in InfoSec. This is transparently a scam. And then Tim goes on. So did you hack this account or did you create it for your scam? LOL. Heck, you chickened up. Then you must be one. Bye. What the F are you talking about? That didn't even make sense. You're using a picture of a woman named Natasha Nice. You just copied her picture. Reverse image search is a thing. And so the exchange ends there. It let does. me let me uh, provide a little bit of context here. So as part of this exchange, Tim uh, tagged us on Twitter with this one. And, and Tim, we appreciate that. Uh, he also tagged the woman whose images they stole, uh-huh. who is named Natasha Nice. And so I made the mistake of clicking on Natasha Nice's profile on Twitter, <laughs> Joe. Was and, it a mistake, uh, Dave? Or? Well, you know, it was kind of, it was a mistake. Well, let me just say she's a lovely woman. Yes. Uh, she's particularly lovely when she's wearing no clothes, ah. uh, which is what I saw when I clicked through on Twitter. So a happy accident. On my, wor- <laughs> on my work computer. Ah, so nice. <laughs> so perhaps, Tim, in the future, a little bit of a heads up would be nice to your good friends Joe and Dave here yes. uh, who, who like our jobs and want to keep them. But uh, yeah, so Tim, uh, with a quick uh, reverse image search, was able to find that, as is so often the case with these things, they were just stealing the image from someone else and yeah. uh, just a scam. People overlook this, but this actually does in some way victimize Miss Nice. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. these people are misusing her image without her permission. Right. I'm sure she didn't consent to this. I would imagine not. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to Tim for sending that in. That is our catch of the day. Coming up next, we've got my conversation with Carl Sigler. He's got some advice for folks to keep safe out there during this upcoming holiday season. And we are back, Joe. I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Carl Sigler. He is from security firm TrustWave. And we had a nice conversation about how people can protect themselves during the holiday season. Some of the things that they need to look out for from the scammers out there. Here's my conversation with Carl Sigler. Uh, I think that these holidays are probably better than holidays past. I think that in general, people are a lot more security savvy year after year. But, you know, whenever you have a lot of commerce going on, a lot of electronic transactions, credit card usage, it's going to attract thieves. So let's go through some of the things together. I mean, what's on your radar? What are some of the common uh, ways that the thieves go after people? Number one is phishing attacks. So spam and phishing attacks, uh, it allows them to throw a very wide net very quickly and easily with very little investment up front. And in the end, they tend to get a really good payback on people opening attachments that they shouldn't be opening or clicking on links that they shouldn't click on. What about out and about with retail itself? People are going to be using a lot of credit cards, interacting with terminals and ATMs and even gas pumps. Are there things folks should be looking out for there? 
Oh, definitely. I mean, skimmers are still very, very popular among thieves. So if you're actually inserting your card into a device that isn't manned by a cashier or something like that, for instance, an ATM, like you say, a, a gas pump or something that is just sort of standalone, just take a look at it. See if it looks really new. If the uh, machinery is a little bit shaky, look for little pinholes around it. Those cameras can be very, very small these days. So skimming is still a huge threat. I think the biggest thing that I've seen that has helped prevent theft and just, you know, brick and mortar uh, out and about live shopping is the chip. EMV has provided a tremendous amount of security, uh, security that a lot of other countries outside the U.S. have enjoyed. And this is probably only the uh, second uh, holiday season that we've had where um, EMV and, and chip cards are really prevalent in the U.S. So if you have it, use it. What about some of the electronic payment methods? I'm thinking of things like Apple Pay and, and Android has their own version. Is that a good option? Absolutely. Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, Google Pay, all of those sort of mobile payment methods, they actually provide one-time tokens, uh, in essence, for each individual transaction. So typically when you're worried about skimmers or you're worried about uh, POS malware, uh, the point-of-sale malware that we've heard in the past that will grab your credit card number, all of that is made moot by either the chip or these tokenized payments because every single transaction is unique. So even if criminals do get information associated with that one purchase, they can't reuse that to purchase other things down the road. Now, what about some of the more personal attacks? It's a time of the year when when there's a lot of uh, getting together with family, but there's a lot of people who have trouble during the holidays. And and I suppose dealing with things like loneliness and, and missing family members and so on, I mean, that could make them prime targets for some of these scammers who try to target them. Oh, absolutely. And and that's generally what we see is that criminals will prey on people that are, are vulnerable, whether it's emotionally, like you say, or, or vulnerable in other methods, uh, like not having access to technology that can secure you. So yeah, criminals prey upon the weak. We see a lot of crime that are targeted at senior citizens and the elderly, uh, the poor, and that just becomes more and more prevalent around the holiday season. What sort of things can we do to to check in on our friends and and relatives? I'm, I'm thinking of maybe those older people or just people who aren't as technically savvy. How can we check in on them and help make them safer? Definitely do exactly that. Check in, give them a phone call, send them an email. And especially for those that you may not even be aware are in that type of vulnerable situation, take close account of your neighbors, knock on doors and uh, just see if there's any need, anything that you can help out with. Uh, And generally in this day and age, a lot of it is just about education, giving somebody another voice that they can bounce something off of. If I have a, a relative that maybe received an email that is setting off some red flags for them. Just having the ability to reach out to me to double check to make sure that instinct is correct is something that's extremely useful. So expand your community and uh, don't wait for them to come to you. Go to them instead. We hear a lot about folks who fall victim to these things. And a lot of times they're embarrassed to tell anyone. They, they feel foolish for having fallen for some sort of scam. What's your take on that? Should those folks feel that way or should we uh, do a better job of protecting them as a community? Absolutely. We should be doing a better job. Uh, That type of victim blaming really only benefits the criminals. Anybody can be the victim of a crime at any point in time. 
no matter how savvy you are, no matter how strong you are, no matter how well off you are. So just be empathetic and realize that, you know, it's it's not the victim's fault. Uh, most times uh, it is completely somebody that was taken advantage of in some way, shape or form. So use it as an educational moment and uh, provide them the support they need. When we victim shame, we basically force victims to be quiet about the crimes that occur. Uh, and when that happens, nobody is educated about the prevalence of some of these crimes. And a lot of times that victim blaming, it comes from a place of wanting to feel superior to that victim so that you don't fall into that same category. Really, it just does a disservice to everybody involved. You know, we, we've been talking about things from the consumer side, but what about from the merchants, from the vendors? I mean, what sort of things should they be looking out for this time of year? They should be looking out definitely for scams that might be targeting their customers directly. So they want to make sure that if they're running an e-commerce shop, that that e-commerce shop is secure. We've seen a huge spike in e-commerce cart attacks, if you will. Uh, Magecart is really prevalent these days. That's a small little malicious script that criminals are embedding into some e-commerce shops that will then strip your credit card information from that shop. And when you're shopping online, you don't have that benefit of the uh, chip, right? You're just typing in your credit mm. card number and the CVV code. And that is something that can be stolen. So merchants should be very, very aware of those types of crimes. Uh, they should make sure that their websites are patched, that their websites have been audited, and they can't be uh, leveraged against the company's own customers. But what are some of the take homes for you? I mean, as uh, sort of the broad advice that you have for folks as we head into this busy time, there's going to be a lot of money changing hands. Uh, what are some of the, uh, the overarching themes here that folks can follow to help keep themselves safe? Just use common sense, I would say. I think that a lot of people don't trust their instincts, especially when there's new technology involved, like let's say your mobile payments, that's relatively new technology for a lot of people. And they might be a little bit sketched out about when to use it, where to use it. Just make sure that you're comfortable with what you're doing. If there's red flags that are being set off, listen to those red flags, listen to those instincts. And things that we've, we do through the, throughout the rest of the year, if something seems too, too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. You might not want to click on that, despite the fact that it sounds like it's an amazing sale. Be wary of emails that come into your inbox that you didn't ask for. Uh, be aware of uh, clicking on ads that might sound like they're providing the, the gift that you want to give for a really, really cheap price. You probably wouldn't click on those ads. You probably wouldn't open those emails any other time of the year. Don't be tempted just because you're looking for a, a good deal this year. Also, EMV chip cards have done a tremendous amount of securing brick and mortar transactions. We need to have that same awareness when it comes to online e-commerce transactions. So, you know, I love TLC's waterfalls. I always use this phrase around this time of year, stick to the mm -hmm. rivers and lakes that you're used to. Uh, stick to those e-commerce shops that you use throughout the rest of the year. If you've trusted them for sales in the past, they're probably trustworthy now as well. Probably the only other little tip I would add is, and, and we see this quite a bit, if you're going to be shopping outside, doing e-commerce shopping outside of your own home, uh, if you're in a cafe, if you're in a coffee shop, something like that, that has public Wi-Fi, be especially careful in those situations. Uh, any sort of public Wi-Fi should be considered sort of a public arena where any criminals could be hanging out and, and trying to access your transactions or intercept your transactions and process. Uh, so I recommend not doing shopping from public Wi-Fi if possible. If you're trying to hide your shopping from maybe relatives or family by going to some place that's a little bit more private for you, definitely use VPN software on that public Wi-Fi to better secure those connections. All right, Joe, what do you think? I love it. 
when the interview meshes so nicely with our stories. <laughs> yes, it's a happy accident, let me assure you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, I meant to do that. It's yes. careful planning, yes. One of the things that Carl pointed out was that these problems are asymmetric problems. It's very easy for people to commit these crimes, and it's very difficult for us to defend against it. You know, uh-huh. it's... it's it's low cost, high benefit for them and high cost, low, you know, sometimes low benefit for us. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean when I say asymmetric. Yeah. Mobile payment is a good way to protect yourself using something like Apple Pay, Google Pay or Samsung Pay. Yeah. I would advise sticking with one of the big names like Apple or Google before I went with some other third party payment organization. Mm-hmm. There's also services like privacy.com out there as well for online shopping that creates disposable credit cards. And I think JP Morgan has kind of a service like that as well. Although I'm not sure the details of JP Morgan's, how good it is. These actors do go after the vulnerable because they're easy targets. That's sad and unfortunate, but it is the truth. So check on people you think are vulnerable, that they're in your network, take care of each other. Yeah, it reminds me too that, you know, over the holidays, when we're getting together with family, those of us who may be a little more knowledgeable on this stuff, strike up that conversation, remind people, have a little informal lesson without being professorial. Share the information. Yes, indeed. Share the information. I like what Carl said about victim blaming only benefiting the criminals. It also is a force that suppresses the information. It makes people be quiet about it. Yeah. I agree with that 100%. We yeah. need to be able to talk openly about this. That's better than suppressing it. Yeah. Magecart is a very interesting piece of malware. It's a very small, lightweight malicious JavaScript thing. And if you want to know the technical details about it, Jack Recyder has a great episode of the Darknet Diaries. I think it's episode 52. There he goes into depth about how Magecart works. And it's mm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's actually a very smartly designed piece of malware. And quite effective, I mean, right? Very yeah. effective. Remarkably <laughs> effective. Yeah. And I won't bore our listeners with it. If, if you really want to know about it, you should listen to Jack's podcast. Yeah. When he says don't use public Wi-Fi without a VPN, that's a great, great piece of advice. But I would go one step further and say just use mobile data. It's very inexpensive nowadays to have unlimited mobile data on your phone. And then your phone can become a hotspot. Mm -hmm. If you have that capability on your phone, all the phones I've had for the past three or four phones have had this capability. Yeah. And I just activated it last year when you and I were down at the No Before conference. Mm. I turned it on and I haven't regretted it for a minute. It's great. Wherever I go, I have a hotspot. And even if I'm sitting in a Starbucks, I don't use the Starbucks Wi-Fi. I use my hotspot that's sitting next to me. Yeah. A little more secure. It is a little. It's a lot more secure. Yeah. I'll still run a VPN even on my mobile hotspot just because I don't want my cell phone provider seeing where I'm going. And also it does add another layer of security. Yeah. If you have that capability, why not? Yes, absolutely. Use it. Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 